Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 18,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you'll visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hi, we're glad you're listening. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and we're talking today about why integrating disability and absence management is valuable for employers. We've asked Sarah Elder, Vice President of Operations for Sedgwick, to join us and discuss this topic, which was explored in the column titled Streamline Claims to Reduce Confusion and Avoid Mistakes that was published in Atwork Magazine. We'll unlock that column for listeners and we'll include the link in the notes section of this episode. Sarah, we're glad you're with us. So one of the main takeaways from the column is that reviewing workers' compensation claims in silos can cause mistakes. Since some employers have different teams managing workers' compensation, short- and long-term disability, and other types of absences, how do you ensure information sharing about these cases between the groups doing this work in a timely manner? Well, Heather, it's a pleasure to be here and um, always happy to uh, provide insights on uh, steps for integrating absence management. Your first question, I think, is one that is a challenge for most companies, uh, particularly when it comes to workers' comp. Workers' comp has a lot of its own nuances. Uh, It has a lot of prescriptive steps that have to be followed in order to comply with a state's uh, workers' comp protocol. Uh, So it is uh, an area where you typically see companies challenged uh, with the issue of where does the workers' comp journey end, where does the leave journey begin, and where does the ADA journey begin. So there is not necessarily a silver bullet solution, but there are ways to ensure that the touch points are connected in a way so as not to compromise compliance interests as they relate to ADA and as they relate to FMLA. And one particular way for that to happen is first and foremost, whether you're outsourcing or whether you're keeping it internally, is to ensure that there's awareness among all of uh, the the folks uh, that are touching that within your company, that there's awareness of how the pieces interconnect. Um, I I think one of the deficits that I typically see with companies is that they do not have a good uh, compliance training regimen that 
um, explains to managers and HR representatives how these pieces are related and, and how to navigate that Bermuda Triangle, so to speak. Uh, and I think when you educate them, they can be much better partners in terms of helping ensure that uh, that the uh, proper considerations uh, apply so that uh, a workers' comp situation is not um, addressed in isolation without regard to accommodation considerations, et cetera. And I can give you an example from um, experience in my, my prior life prior to um, joining Sedgwick. So, uh, I worked for a company that uh, had a, a consent decree that related to its administration of workers' compensation leaves of absence. Um, the EEOC focused primarily on how it was administered, um, suggested that the facts indicated that leave was not treated as an accommodation option. And uh, consequently, um, we at the time had to focus on ways to connect the dots between uh, what was happening in the workers' comp claim and how that would impact uh, accommodation considerations. And one of the ways to do that is to make a determination as to how you're going to use the workers' compensation um, information. That can run the gamut. That can run the gamut from having those that are adjudicating the accommodation issues uh, ensuring that they have access to the uh, workers' comp information in some way or another that uh, the uh, internal lawyers feel is is compliant and not uh, not crossing any particular line. One could be to use workers' comp decisions as a proxy when um, it's a leave decision um, where you can then include in a communication that although they may not be eligible, say, for FMLA or estate leave, that the, the leave time is being uh, treated as an accommodation consistent with company policy and applicable law. Um, there, there could be instances where reports could be utilized, uh, where there might be a, um, a, a mismatch between who might be managing the workers' comp piece on the one hand and who might be a TPA on the other hand in order to track and, and have visibility to what's happening on the workers' comp case. But the end goal for at least having some solution for this is to improve the employee experience so that a, a communication that they get lets them know what's happening both from a, a compensation point of view and what's happening from a job uh, protection point of view. So um, I think the first and foremost, there just needs to be a strategy um, that a company has around how are we going to leverage the information that we have in order, one, to ensure that it's factoring in the decisions, and then two, um, that it is uh, creating a, a positive employee experience. And then three, that it's not going to have um, pose an undue burden to the employee to have to chase down information 
because a, a company's not leveraging information that exists. And, and you could say that the same goes for on the short-term disability side. Um, I know from my experience with most um, interactions I've had where I've had the ability to kind of pick the brain uh, of an EEOC representative, and I don't want to speak for them, I, and I do not speak for them, but I think their interest is in compliance with the spirit of the law, and their interest is in ensuring that a company does not have a policy or a practice that has a chilling effect on an employee's ability to gain their ADA rights. And as you can imagine, just, just practically speaking, does it not have a chilling effect if you have a process in place where you're not leveraging existing information and you're, you're using an employee's failure to return specific uh, paperwork as a way to deny or you're requiring extra paperwork and that could drive up their cost in terms of getting um, an adjudication of the rights that they're they're trying to obtain. So um, I, I think the concentration needs to be, how do you leverage the existing paperwork? How do you get the groups involved in these processes to be aware of the why behind the effort and the need to partner effectively to ensure that the information can be sliced um, in order to meet the needs of the particular law that's being implemented or the particular right that's being enforced and protected. I'm realizing that the question itself includes a brief overview of what we mean by integration, but I think you're answer to that question of how you ensure information sharing uh, between these cases really illustrates that beautifully. And I, I know that there will be some people listening to our podcast episode who may not know all of the nuances to integration. And so again, while that question does include a brief overview of really separating those workers' compensation claims from all of the other absence-related claims, please weigh in if you have any additional insights that you'd like to share about that. Yeah, I, I think it's important for a company to think of integration beyond just the processes of managing a claim from beginning to end and uh, figuring out how to assign those uh, various pieces of managing the claim. You know, it's, it's sort of like an assembly line. You're building a car and there are the different elements that go into it. And certainly you have to have uh, processes in place to, to build the car, to make sure it's, it's completed in a, in a you know, compliant manner and the, the end user is going to be interested in what the car is. But there's something always overarching um, from an integration point of view. And that is how do those pieces, and if we were even to, to use the car analogy, how do those steps fit into something bigger uh, from um, the standpoint of uh, of the whole. And, and, and what I'm getting at is when you're really integrating 
process steps. It's a manifestation. There should be a manifestation of what your culture is. And in the card context, it might be what the brand is, but, but keeping it um, to absence management, what, what is the philosophy of the company around wellness? What is the company's philosophy around well-being? And are the processes that are in place a reflection of that? What I find often and that is that as attorneys, and, and I have my JD, I always refer to myself as a recovering attorney now that I'm in operations, but I often find that with very good intentions, um, employers treat some of the absence management steps almost as if it's a law school problem. And it gets bogged down in to what ifs uh, and, and solving for those what ifs. And that's smart. That's going to keep you compliant. But it can that effort can often translate to uh, practices that that deviate from what might make sense from an employee relations standpoint or a wellness uh, standpoint or a well-being standpoint. And um, there are ways to, to balance that so that, uh, that the, what is ultimately developed um, can give maybe greater weight uh, to the employee experience, because let's let's face it, the more the employee understands what they need to do, and that that process is simplified for them, the easier it is to administer it. Uh, the easier it is for them to understand what their obligations. The less risk you have around that you didn't explain things in a, in a manner that they could understand their rights or execute on their rights. Um, and I think what often happens and what I see sometimes is the concern around abuse is so prevalent in large measure because when there is abuse, it's those claims that take an inordinate amount of time of a manager and of uh, an HR representative and of an internal resource group that a company may have dedicated to absence management. And so it, it, it makes it seem like it's a bigger issue than it really is. And so a lot of companies try to solve for those, those potentially uh, abusive situations when the reality is statistics show that it's a very small number. I think DMEC has produced uh, information in the past that maybe it's around 2% um, where abuse is involved. Employees typically want to work. They, they need to be paid. So if, 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 if it's an unpaid leave that's involved or an ADA leave that's not being compensated, um, that that's hurting their 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 pocket, uh, their their emotional state, their psyche. So this notion that they're playing games um, is is not necessarily true. And so when policies are developed to curb abuse uh, without regard to, doesn't it just make sense to go ahead and and 
give this time in XYZ circumstances, have some quick, simple, easy approaches to accommodation so that we're not bogging this life-changing event, bogging the, the employee, incurring the life-changing event down when they're already in, in, in having stressors in their, in their life uh, relative to the, their, their situation. And so, um, I think what I often see is it looks really nice on paper and in theory, we're going to do this process. We're going to make sure separate paperwork is going out to show that we are adjudicating ADA and that we appreciate that the inquiry for ADA is, is different than short-term disability. You have to ask yourself, is that necessary? Where is that point of diminishing return and how does that interfere with what an employee who's ill should be having to deal with and what they need to understand. So if you were writing a paper for a professor, that might really look good in terms of, boy, did you really cover your bases in terms of being compliant and demonstrating for all those potential regulators that come in that you had everything, uh, your I's dotted, your T's crossed and everything in mind. But what did that do in terms of getting a result? What did that do in terms of helping that employee navigate all that needs to be done, maybe just to get the same end result? Or did what you do translate to them getting denied something because undue emphasis was putting was put on the fact that it needs to be this particular form or in this particular format. And maybe some of our listeners have had different experiences with the EEOC, but I can tell you mine is not that they're going to give you a pat on the back and congratulate for having um, forms that ultimately prevail over substance. They're, they're going to be more interested in ensuring that uh, rights were obtained and that barriers were not put up uh, around an employee's ability to, to get the time off. And yeah, maybe there are, are situations where you could have denied the, um, the, if you were using STD as a proxy, you could have denied it on the ADA end, but did all the effort and cost uh, that went into Providing that denial, did that translate to anything meaningful or substantive that's consistent with what you want to do from your employee relations philosophy, your wellness and well-being philosophy? And because they weren't job protected uh, because of that uh, scrutiny you might have given the situation, did you terminate them anyway? And and if you did, did that make sense? Um, so I think... Um, you know, what I see often is that the integration continues to focus on administration and not ne necessarily on how do you integrate in a manner that fulfills the spirit of the laws as well as the spirit of, of your employee relations philosophy and your employee relations uh, policies. And I know I, that was a very long-winded answer, but um, I hope that got at what you, you wanted to get at. It did. No, I don't think it was long-winded at all. And it really illustrates how important it is to look at these policies from that bigger picture perspective. If an organization doesn't have an integrated approach to absence and disability management, how can an employer ensure 
all of the groups involved are sharing case information so employees are not the main communicator between the short-term disability, leave benefits, and workers' compensation teams. I don't see how you can get around having um, the dots connected without putting the burden on the employee, without having some sort of hub within your organization, whether it's embedded in your human resources and it's your employee relations team, or you have a compliance function um, within your, your company, or you just tap your uh, an HR generalist or a couple of HR generalists for that purpose, but you can't get by with without having some connection, some way of connecting the information that's obtained on these different pieces and really almost acting as an air traffic controller over the, the individuals within your organization that are touching those pieces if your goal is to um, take that burden off the employee. The only other way would be to be able to communicate with the employee very carefully and clearly about what their obligations are and make it as simple for them to own um, the, the directions that their claim needs to take. So perhaps they call one number and then they explain it all and it, it gets... Um, um, directed from there, or you lay out very clearly. Now, if you have a work-related incident, um, remember, you need to uh, call the following numbers. And, and, and in workers' comp, that, that often still may remain. They need to call their, because the workers' comp um, provider might be different from um, who might be handling the, the leave in-house or if they're even using a TPA. There are ways to do it virtually. You can send it out when someone opens something, um, a, a, a claim. You can send an email that has that information. It might attach a brochure that might, might help them own the, the different component parts. And, I, and something I didn't mention before that I do think is important. I think one of the biggest areas of confusion that I see is OCK versus non-OCK. A lot of managers get the occupational space. They've been, it's been drilled into them. Keep your workers' comp uh, costs down. Let's find a way to accommodate those restrictions. And somehow they think that those same rules don't apply in the non-OCK case. And, it, and I found it to be a big hurdle to change that mindset and that thinking. So again, that's where training can, uh, can come into play to create that mindset around the goal of keeping, you know, employees at work and ensuring that they they don't necessarily use the categories and the, 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 the differences as a way to differentiate aspects that don't need to be differentiated, particularly, for example, in the, you know, the accommodation space. I think the emphasis on training is so key, and it's something that I hear a lot of people talk about. And I loved your your um, description of air traffic controllers because I think I think most people must feel that way to to make sure that you're guiding employees and really supporting them appropriately. 
So, Sarah, you've mentioned some hang-ups or fears that employers have with respect to ADA compliance that can complicate integration. And I'd love to hear, uh, I'd love to have you share some perspectives on that um, and hopefully identify some employer concerns that the teams at Sedgwick have encountered regarding ADA compliance. One is uh, the extent to which information can be used or is, is being allowed to be used in a proxy context. Um, I get it. There are, there are pros, there are cons. I can certainly invent scenarios where there could be a risk. I, I do think uh, that it, it stems from concern around information sharing potential leakage of information to individuals who might get information that they don't need to know. And the reality is you can put controls in place to mitigate those kinds of risks. Um, and there, the reality is also that if that risk ha happens to unfortunately play out, there's also there are uh, there are also steps you can take to to reduce it even after the fact. Um, so what we sometimes see is where there's not a comfort level with a, a proxy approach. You're getting um, you're you're bogging down the employee and even managers with separate communications about what's happening on the claim that opens up the risk that they're going to miss something and therefore not follow through on something. Or, you know, a manager could be confused and think, okay, well, I saw that I got the communication on X, but I didn't get a communication on the job protection piece. Um, and, and you don't want them taking action because they don't know what the total story is about whether the person is job protected or not. You know, I'll give you an example we see in some survey information coming back from claimants where they are confused because they'll say, I thought you communicated to me that I was approved. And then I later got more information that I wasn't approved and that I was, uh, or I might've been denied or what have you. Well, that's largely because there were they were getting separate communications that may not have even been timed at the same time, uh, or the timing may not have even been the same about, here's what's happening on your short-term disability claim. And then a couple of days later, here's what's happening on your ADA claim. Or the ADA might be decided faster because of a different threshold about what constitutes a disability versus what might qualify for compensability under a plan. Oftentimes, short-term disability needs more information. So a, a communication could go and say, hey, you've been approved uh, under the ADA. And then a few days later, they get information that says, you, we need more information to uh, adjudicate your benefit under short-term disability. The, the employee 
doesn't care if it's ABC, STD, what have you. Um, and similarly, our, some managers may not be sophisticated enough to understand the differences. So if they're getting separate communication, it presents a lot for someone to digest and figure out how they execute on that information. So, um, so when we do see, with the best of intentions, companies trying to segregate those processes, the, it's, it's often without regard to those downstream effects that, that carry with them execution issues, both by their managers and the employee um, experience uh, issues. It, 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 it really um, you know, negatively impacts the, the, the employee experience. And it's driving work that may not get done that maybe a manager has to do for follow-up and even extra work and um, that those who are administering it, whether in-house or externally, have to put toward the claim, which leads to, you know, cost increases, money that could be better spent elsewhere, you know, within within the, the, the company. Um, so, um, you know, I, again, I always see it with the best of intentions, you know, I, I look at com the compliance considerations. They're kind of guardrails, but there's a lot of play um, within those those guardrails. And um, sometimes there's acceptable risk that might even exist beyond outside those guardrails that 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 might have um, greater benefit um, if it's going to mean you retain your your employees if it means that it's going to to lower your costs if it means that it's going to help the employee not be stressed out by the process that you've you've implemented so you know sometimes it's okay to color outside those lines you want to stay on the the, the, the page but um, you know you just don't want to bog things down in a way that translates to um, again the bad employee experience and um, ways that complicate how the managers themselves, you know, execute on their next steps in terms of whether they can separate or um, what they need to do relative to that particular employee and whether they need to, you know, look for reassignment or, or what have you. That's really valuable perspective. And it, it sounds like those, those steps that you're referencing that clients take ideally to to protect themselves and to support those employees and ensure that they're complying with the laws might jeopardize, as you've said, compliance and also aren't balancing those issues of risk and employee experience. Um, and it sounds like those are mainly prompted by the fears that you have referenced throughout our conversation. Is that fair to say? I think that's... I think you you nailed it. I think that you're exactly right. It's really helpful for you to have shared these different nuances and really to emphasize that employee experience piece. I think that oftentimes when we're talking about integration, what I've heard is people really focusing on those processes and the paperwork and the laws. And sometimes it seems like that employee experience gets lost. So this has been such a, a helpful conversation. I, I really appreciate your time and your willingness to share your expertise with us. Thank you so much, Sarah. Well, my pleasure.